If you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to turn to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 13. Actually, we're going to start in verse 38, and we're going to go all the way to verse uh, to chapter 19. So today it's a little bit of aggressive schedule. We're going to we're going to cover six chapters of the book of 2 Samuel of David's life, and 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 so that we can get the context and we can understand what's going on. So the title of this message, listen, I know the title of this message sometimes just gives parents like immediate guilt. And so the title of this passage, or this this message, I'm sorry, is Loving a Rebellious Child. Loving a Rebellious Child. And so we're going to look at that today because I believe this has to be, listen, I know sometimes when I was talking last night and preaching this message, I just kind of felt like the old guy. That, That when I looked at this and I looked at when we parented and now what parents are dealing with now that this has to be one of the most hardest times in our, in our history to be a mom or a dad, a husband or a wife, a parent of children, or you know what, or even, even a grandparent in these days. And so when we look at this, I, I don't want this to give you any guilt because the focus of this sermon really is not what happened in the home, that we're going to touch on that, but it's how to parent, how to handle an adult rebellious child because it's Absalom. It's the, Absal- it's the relationship between David and Absalom. And so that's the principles because, you know, what? When we look at this issue of parenting, parenting is like a petri dish for guilt, wouldn't you say? I mean, it just, is there any, let me just ask you this, is there any parent in the room that thinks, you know what, we're like nailing it. I mean, we're like perfect. And and listen, if your kids are like under the age of four, you don't get to vote. I felt like a rock star too when our kids were like below four and below two in their early years. I thought, what is so hard about this? And then all of a sudden, like they could talk and then they became teenagers and then they became adults and all those other things and all the seasons. So, so this sermon, we're going to look at David's life, his relationship to Absalom. We're going to understand that. And some of this comes out of just years of parenting in all phases from children, from adolescents to teenagers to adults and now the grandparent stage and some of those other things. And so, so when, you, when you look at this, you realize that over the last several weeks, we looked at King David, and we've seen his love, and we've seen his compassion, uh, we've seen his love for God, we've seen his love for people, and we've seen his sin, we've seen his imperfection, and so we've been honest about this. We, we know that King David was not a perfect person, but it was said in Scripture that he was a man after God's own heart. It didn't mean that he was perfect, but he had a desire to please God and walk in obedience to him. And so today, we're going to look at this issue of David's relationship to his son, Absalom. Absalom is an adult now. Absalom is, is a prodigal. Absalom is in major rebellion. And, but but the, the amazing thing is, is, is David still loved his son. And so the focus of this message is not what David got wrong, but what David got right. Because I think there's some principles that we can grab about how David handled this situation. See, this rift, this difficulty between David and Absalom was like no small deal. I mean, it wasn't like missing curfew or talking on the cell phone too long or, 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 or dating the wrong person or having the wrong friends. Any, I mean, this, this was a major deal. And Absalom now as an adult, he is leading a rebellion against his dad. See, his goal is not only to publicly humiliate and embarrass his dad to get revenge, but ultimately he wants to kill his dad. And he wants to take over the kingdom. And so when you look at this, you realize that this is like a major rift. And what makes this even worse, it's public. Everybody in the temple knew what was going down. Everyone in the city knew what was happening. Everybody knew that David had raised his son, and his son's goal is to humiliate, to embarrass, and, and to overthrow his dad. And so this was an issue that actually started in the home. 
You can read it for yourself, and I'll give you some of the cliff notes, 2 Samuel chapter 13 all the way to chapter 19, that David had an issue in the home, and Absalom was, was angry how his dad handled it. The issue between Ammon and, and Tamar. And as a result of that, Absalom just felt his dad was wrong, and so he grew up in the home and got out of the home with some unresolved issues of how his dad had handled that whole situation. Absalom actually later takes, takes matters into his own hands, and he, he, he kills Amon. I mean, he decided, I'm going to be the one to dis. I'm going to be the one to take care of this. And then, then David now, the family's in crisis. They're, they were not only mourning the, what happened between Amon and Tamar, but now the death of Amon. So, so uh, David's lost a son. He, he, he has another son that's in major rebellion. And it's like crisis in the family. And so now when we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 38, David and Amon, uh, Absalom, have not talked for like, like three years. There's been no communication, no text messages, no, no, no cell phone, uh, no emails. There's been nothing. There's been absolutely nothing. David has been mourning the loss of his son, Amon, and the rebellion of Absalom all at the same time. So 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 38, we'll just start reading. And after Absalom had fled to Geshur, so that's after the death, had been, been there for three years. King David longed, uh, longed to go to Absalom, for David had finished grieving over Amon's death. So after three, after three years, David finally ends the morning and says, you know what, I'd like to kind of patch things up with Absalom. So we're going to let Absalom move back into Jerusalem. We're going to let him move back into the city. Two years have passed. They had not seen each other. They had not talked, even though they're in the same city. There's been no communication. And finally, Finally, they come to that place where they talk. Finally, they come to that place where they have, have a meeting, if you will. Verse, 30, verse 33, 2 Samuel chapter 14, it says, Joab, which Joab was an assistant to King David, Joab went to the king and told him. So David summoned Absalom, who came to the king and paid homage uh, with his face to the ground before him. Watch this. Then the king kissed Absalom. What a happy reunion, right? I mean, it means that King David had to, had to like embrace Absalom and kiss him on both of his cheeks. And all of a sudden you read that and you think, what a happy reunion. Listen, let me tell you something. There's still unresolved issues. There's major unresolved issues. Just listen, just because you talk to someone doesn't mean there's reconciliation. Just because you show up to the family dinner... Just because you show up to the family reunion doesn't mean there's not still some unresolved issues that are working. Just, just because Absalom would accept his dad's money and his dad's resources doesn't mean he's okay with his dad. This is not a happy reunion. Reunion fact is Absalom still has unresolved issues in his heart. You know what he's doing? He's plotting revenge. He's plot right now at this, at this reunion. He is already plotting his revenge. He's already plotting how he's going to get even with dad. He's already plotting how he's going to pay dad back. He's coming in and he's making friends with everybody. He becomes like this, 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 this politician. And what, what, what Absalom would do is he'd go down to the city gate every day, city gates, 
City gates is where a lot of the leaders would hang out. It's where a lot of the people would hang out that have issues and questions for the leaders. And Absalom would hang out at the city gate. When someone would come by and say, I have a problem with the king. I have a problem with King David. See, they were mesmerized because this just did not happen. That one of the king's sons would hang out with them and would be at the city gate. They have a relationship. So Absalom would steward his influence. And when someone came along and said, I have a problem with your dad. I have a problem with the king. Absalom would say, well, me too. And he would affirm that. And then he would tell them things like, you know what, if I was a king, I'd be a better king. If I was a king, I'd make better decisions. If I was a king, you would be happy with, with, with me. Listen, when someone, I'm telling you, when someone has an unresolved issue with someone else, they're always looking for someone to confirm it. They're always, they're always looking for someone to affirm the feelings and, uh, and confirm the feelings and the issues that they have. And this is what Absalom is doing. Absalom is, is like, like if I was king and if I was in charge, I would take care of this. And the Bible goes on to say that Absalom is just unbelievable to think because King David was an amazing leader. He was an amazing person. He's a man after God's own heart. That all of a sudden in the, in the city, more people loved Absalom than loved the king. Because what he was doing, he was so in discord within the community. After four years, it took Absalom four years. He didn't mind waiting. He didn't mind showing up at the city gates day in and day out and just kind of affirm what other people were thinking. And now Absalom comes to the part, point where he puts an army together and feels like this is the time I'm going I'm I'm to do it. I'm going to embarrass my dad. I'm going to humiliate my dad. I'm going to take the kingdom, and then I'm going to kill him. David realized what was about ready to happen. And David feared for the life of his son. So you know what David did? David decided, we're going we're gonna to march out of the city. We're just going to leave. It's one of the saddest stories in Scripture, I believe, between a father and a son, but family issues that David is like leaving the city, and he's not leading the city as a, as a, in a celebration as a king and what he's accomplished. He's leaving the city and mourning and grieving and crying. In fact, as the Scripture says, that as David left the city, as he passed through the gates, the city wept. And David wept, and his men wept. Absalom was wrong. Not everybody agreed with him. Absalom was wrong. Not everybody was upset. It was just him and, and his friends and his group. And then after David and the men leave, Absalom comes to the point and says, the time is right. I'm going to hunt my dad down, and I'm going to kill him. And I'm going to humiliate him. And David knew what was happening. And David knew, and he feared for the life of his son. Even though his son's in rebellion, he feared for the life of his son. He told his men, whatever you do, when Absalom comes with the men, do not kill him. Do not take his life. I don't want my son to lose his life over this. And so the men got confused in the heat of battle. Absalom loses his life. And then 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 33, I think just reflects the heart of a father, the heart of King David. I think it's one of the saddest scriptures about a rebellious son. And, and so here's what he says, verse 33. Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber above the city gate and wept. This is, wept. This is after he found out about Absalom. And as he walked, he cried, My son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Here it is. If only I had died instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. In other words, this is the heart of a father. says, Son, it did not have to end like this. You did not have to choose this path. This is, this is what I feared. This is what I feared is the consequences to your decisions, the consequences to your action. And even at this point when his son had publicly humiliated him, everybody knew this. David is still reaching out to his son. And David is saying, you know what? I would have swapped places with you. How many moms and dads when your children have gone through 
suffering and pain and rebellion and some of those other things that we've said, if we could only swap places with you. And you realize that David loved his son deeply. His assistant Joab recorded it this way, 2 Samuel chapter 19, 1. It was reported to Joab, the king is weeping. He was mourning over Absalom. So everybody knew. So I have four principles for parents. I have four principles about this issue of loving a rebellious child, loving a child that's going a different way than, than how you would have them to go. And then, then, then just so we don't let, let, let like children out of the whole deal, there's two principles for you as well. I don't want to leave anybody out this morning. So here's the first principle, how to love a rebellious child. Regardless of what your children do, stay involved in their lives because God is not finished with them. Regard, listen, regardless, regardless of what your children do, regardless of their decisions, regardless of their actions, stay connected, stay involved, because guess what? God is not finished writing their story. The last chapter has not been done. The last chapter has not been written. And God is still, you, you've got to trust that. Listen, that was one of David's problems. We'll talk about this a little bit more later, that when this crisis happened in, in David's family, you know what David did? David withdrew. And there was a period he didn't try to stay in contact with Absalom. Now he is. He's learning this principle. We're going to focus on the things that David got right instead of some of the things that we could critique about David's life. Spend quality time with your children. Listen, when the crisis hit the family, everybody but David knew it was unhealthy for everybody to withdraw and nobody to talk. And David was totally out of touch, but there came a time... When David, when David worked hard to connect with his kids, his family, in times of crisis, you need to connect more with your kids. In times of difficulty, you've got to look for ways. Listen, you've got to look for ways because everybody can be handling a, a crisis in a family, a situation like this one differently and they're processing their anger they're processing their hurt they're processing their disappointment and sometimes listen sometimes you may not know what the other one's going through in different seasons of parenting that we have and there's plenty in 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 me as a father that that i i i could carry carry guilt over i i haven't been the perfect dad and i think maybe we could all we could just all say that but we have worked to try to find ways to build bridges into our kids' life to stay connected in our grandkids, whether it's hobbies, whether it's, whether it's hobbies, whether it's, whether it's movies. I, I, we raised two daughters, and so that means I watched a lot of chick flicks. I mean, I, that's the way, you know what? I would I'd sit in the basement, and we'd pop popcorn, eat ice cream, and we'd, we'd, watch, you know, we'd watch Hallmark movies and Lifetime movies and, and 10 Things I Hate About You, and, and, and now I have 10 Things I Hate About That Movie, but we need to move on. And <laughs> Here's the crazy thing. When Absalom was trying to turn everybody against his dad, David was still reaching out to him. I want you to see this, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 33. Um, it's, a, it's a point, it's just this point. When, when David is, is leaving the city, and he takes his most trusted counselor and says, I need you to stay, watch this, his most trusted counselor or servant, I need you to stay. Verse 33, so, so David, David said to him, if you go away with me, he's talking to his servant, his counselor, and, and Absalom obviously knew who this guy was. You will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and tell Absalom, uh, I will be your servant, your majesty, previously 
I was your father's servant, but now I will be your servant. And look at the reasoning. Then you can counteract Ahithophel's counsel for me. Ahithophel was like this bad dude. Ahithophel was this bad influence in his son's life. Because we know this, that, that, that bad company corrupts good character. And friends have, listen, friends and relationships in your kid's life have great influence in their life. And David knew that. And David knew that this guy Ahithophel is going to lead his son, has ulterior motives, and he's going to lead his son down a path of destruction. So you know what David does? David says, could you, could you stay back? And could you try to counteract what Ahithophel is going to tell my kid? I mean, my, Absalom knows who you are and knows you're one of my trusted counselors and advisors. And maybe he would listen to you. David was still trying to stay connected into his son's life. He was still trying to have influence in his life. This time would be through his counselor. And a lot of times we do that, right? A lot of times if you've ever had a child in rebellion and you know someone that knows them, could you call my, could you call my son? Could you call my daughter? Could you come alongside it? Could you, could you just have lunch with them? Could you just stay? This is what David was doing. The second principle is this. Regardless of what your children do, be willing to show proper discipline. Regardless of what your children do, be willing to show. And listen, proper discipline. Listen, I know this looks different in the different stages of, of parenting. But remember when Nathan confronted David, and we looked at that, what David said, and Nathan confronted David, and David responded to that confrontation. But what we learned is this, that David didn't learn how to confront in a biblical way. Fact is, David was his dad. David was this person that didn't like confrontation at all. And so when the, when the crisis happened in the home, David didn't have conversations with the family, and David didn't, didn't get involved. And this is what, this is what Absalom is, is upset. But Absalom is living out the same principles of his dad, right? Uh, Absalom's not having that conversation with his dad, and Absalom is not, he's withdrawing from his dad. He's going to try to, 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 to humiliate, embarrass him, but he's not having those conversations. And so when you look at this, that there's times in parenting, especially adult children, that you need to have open conversations. You need to have open conversations without guilt or condemnation, without personal attacks, any of those other things. Letting them know about your concern for them or, your, or, or, or the choices that they're making to try to help them. Uh, but we, we, we come to this place to where we need to have those conver conversations, and even in the home that we need to be willing to have sometimes some awkward conversations. Look at this, Proverbs 13, 24. The one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him gently. So when you look at this issue of discipline, discipline is not to punish. Discipline is to change behavior. So, so biblical discipline is not just to punish, but is to help to try to change the behavior of a child. Discipline, what the scripture says, is an act of love because sometimes it's hard. It takes time. It takes emotional energy to have those conversations. And so what, why don't we just take a pause here of talking to parents and talk to students and talk to, to children that are in the home. There's just two principles that you need to understand about this issue of, of discipline that when mom or dad tries to discipline you or give you advice, there's a couple of things that you need to know. When I obey, the first one is this, when I obey my parents, it reveals my intelligence. I'll just read the verse. <laughs> Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates correction is stupid. Now listen, I know for some of you, you don't like that word stupid in the home, and you don't allow that word stupid in the home. I'm so sorry, the CSB, that's what it says. 
If you're a child, if you're a student, if you're a teenager and you're still living in the home and you're going through life like, you know what, I cannot wait to get out of here. I cannot wait. I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to gut through it. I'm going to get out of here. I cannot wait to get out from under my parents' rule. I cannot wait to get out from under their, their home. So guess what? I don't have to listen to anyone else. I don't have to do what they say. I can make my own decisions. I can make, all of, I can make my own choices. And I need to let you know, you will always have someone in authority over you. I know that's sobering news for a lot of you that think maybe I can get out of the home and guess what? Nobody, nobody, nobody can ever tell me what to do. You may have a professor telling you what to do, when to turn in the papers and what homework assignments and how to, how to get a good grade. You may have a police officer telling you what to do. They're going to tell you how fast you can drive and which direction you can go. You may have a boss or a supervisor telling you what to do. You may say, well, you know what? That is not me. I'm going to run my own company. Great. You'll have a board of directors telling you what to do. You'll have shareholders telling you what to do. You'll have customers. You'll have patients. You'll have someone. Listen, you will have someone telling you what to do. And then, if that's not enough, you get married. <laughs> then you're going to have a husband or you're going to have a wife telling you what to do. And students, listen, you're always going to have someone telling you what to do. You're always going to have someone in authority over you. And part of your parents' job in the home is to teach you how to respond to authority, to teach you how to respond to discipline, to teach you how to have relationships. You cannot live and say, you know what, I'm just going to do life alone. And discipline in the home is an act of love that your parents care enough for you to get involved because it'd be totally easier to like turn their heads. The second thing for kids is this. When I, when I obey my parents, it keeps me from unnecessary pain. This was, this was David's issue with Absalom when he said, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I could have changed places with you. It did not have to end like this. This is not the road you had to choose. Proverbs 10, 17, the one who follows instruction is on the path to life. But the one who rejects construction goes astray. He's trying to tell us that it's important that you have a responsibility, especially adult children, you have a responsibility to respond to the correction and respond to the discipline. And what he's saying is, you know what? You, you, got, you got two choices. You're, you're either going to, when, when you reject discipline, you're either going to lead someone else astray or someone's going to lead you astray. See, this is the issue between Absalom and this guy Ahithophel. Ahithophel, David's trying to do anything he can to counteract the influence of Ahithophel in, 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 in Absalom's life. And I'm telling you, you need to be careful whether you're a child in the home or you're, 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 you're out of the home, of who your friends are, who your relationships are. Do you have an Ahithophel in your life that is leading you astray, that has given you bad counsel, that has given you bad wisdom? This is why, listen, this is why parents are so concerned about who your friends are who you're hanging around with because they know, they know the scriptures. The scripture says that, guess what? Bad company corrupts good character. And parents, I just, I just need to say this, and, and I know, students, you're going you're gonna to hate what I'm about ready to say. But parents, you are not your kids' friends except on Facebook. Can I say one more while we're on this? You are their parent, 
not their follower, except on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You need to be involved in this. Listen, I'm telling you, I know I sound like the old guy, but we, used, we always knew who our kids' friends were. You know why? They had to come through the front door. They had to come through the front door physically, and they hung out in our house. They hung out in our backyard. They had meals with us. They, they went on outings with us. We knew who their friends were. Why? Because the only way they can get our home is they came physically into their home. And now, now, parents, and this is why it's such a challenge, you have friends that are coming into your child's life, and they're coming into your child's life through social media and electronically, and you may not know who they are. You need to know who they are. You need to know what is happening on Facebook. And I know Facebook is old and a lot of kids aren't on it, but you need to know. Listen, I'm telling you, if you don't know about like TikTok and Instagram and, and Snapchat and some of those other, so Twitter and some of those other social media platforms, you need to know. You need to get involved. You need to be aware of who their friends are because I'm telling you, there are Ahithophels everywhere. And this is what David is trying to do. When you look at that, he, he makes this statement, but whoever ignores cor correction leads them astray. I mean, ignoring correction is like when that kid gets to the place, and, and I'm watching this in my grandkids' life right now, right? You know, something happens, and all of a sudden, a kid gets to that age, and, and at one time, you know, they think mom and dad are just awesome and that stuff, and then all of a sudden, you see it like, 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 like a, a light switch, and something flips, and then all of a sudden, you tell them something, and it's like that, ugh. You know, or it's like that grunt, or it's throwing the head back, or crossing the arms. And you know what? That's ignoring, that's ignoring correction. It, it goes on, Proverbs 22, 23, 22. He says, listen to your father who gave you life, and watch this, and don't despise your mother when she's old. He's talking, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about adult children. Talking about adult children. And so you come to that place to where you understand and you're willing to engage in a conversation. That's why mom and dad just hate that when they're, when they're talking to you and they're having that talk and they get the blank stare and you're just kind of like, I'll just get through it and then I'm going to do what I want to do. That's ignoring correction in this area. So come to the place to where you understand the third principle of loving adult, uh, rebellious adult child is this. Regardless of what your children do, be willing to pray for them. Fortunately, sometimes this is the last stage. Regardless of what your children do, be willing to pray for them. The best thing you can do for your children is pray for them. And you may have a child right now. It may be an adult child. And they're in rebellion. And you're like, I don't, know, I don't even know what to do. I don't, I don't even know. I don't even ask God for wisdom. Be willing to pray for them. It's in those times, listen, I know we don't have time for this, but there is a theology. There is a theology of suffering. There is spiritual transformation. You talk to anybody that's truly suffered, like as long as you can get a machine that can move a mountain out of the way, you don't need God. But when you face that mountain, and there is no machine big enough that can move that mountain out of the way, all you have is God. And when you and I, when you and I come to that place and we walk through a time of suffering, God does something of spiritual transformation, and you learn this issue of prayer. Talk to anybody that's truly suffered, and they will begin to talk to you about feeling and sensing the presence of God like, like never before in their life. There's something about this issue of pain. Pain binds us. Pain ties us to the Word of God. And be willing to come to that place to where you begin praying for them. And you may say, well, wait a minute. Is that in Scripture? I mean, did like David do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
Look at this. It's second, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 31. Then someone reported to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So when, when David realizes that, that Ahithophel is in this relationship with, 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 his, with his son, here's what David does. Watch this. Lord, David pleaded, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. You know what he was willing to do? He was willing to pray people out of his son's life. You can talk to my wife, Karen and I. We have prayed boys out of our kids' life. And it has worked. I'm telling you, it has worked. And they're crying and they have tears because somebody broke up with them and we're in the next room praising God. (laughs) Turning on a chick flick and consoling them all at the same time. But we're praising God. We're like, that guy was bad news. I mean, he was worse than this Ahithophel guy. And we thank God for that. Be willing. I'm telling you, be willing. I'm telling you, as long, as long, as long as you think. You can get a machine and you can do it on your own and just move a mountain. You'll never, you'll never tie into God in prayer until you come to that place of of desperation. Take seriously. Take seriously praying over your children. Let me go one step farther. Take seriously telling your children what you're praying over them. This is what I'm praying for you. This is what I'm asking God to do in your life. Fourth and the last principle is this, is regardless what your children do, never burn the last bridge, always give them a way back. Always give them a way home. Honestly, this may be the most important principle I'm going to give you. Now, this, this thing is really public. Everybody in the city knows what's going down. Everybody in the church knows what's going down. David, still reaching out to his son to the end. Still giving his son a way home. And so not... I have, a, I have a close pastor friend that um, I, I, I could share his name, and you probably wouldn't even know him, so it doesn't really matter. He shared his story publicly. But many years ago, he had an adult son that became a drug addict. And everybody in the church knew, everybody in the community knew. I'd get, I'd get pictures from Lamar, and, and, and he would, he would go, he'd go pick his son Josh up. Uh, and this is in a different state, and he would go pick his son, Josh, up. He'd get word that his son is homeless and living on the streets. And he'd, he'd take pictures of it. And I mean, it was just, it was just horrible. And I mean, uh, meth and cocaine and, I mean, heroin. And, I mean, it, it was bad. And Lamar would go and pick his son up, and he was never embarrassed by his son's actions. And he worked through all, all the feelings that he had of guilt of being a bad dad and some of those other things. And he, he, w- he would pick his son up. He'd clean his son, he'd get him medical attention and offer to pay for his rehab, but he used tough love. But at the same time, he, uh, he, uh, he, he, he ministered to his son and he helped his son. And he never, he never was the one that burned the bridge. Now listen, in 2015, uh, his son Josh has an encounter with God, accepts Christ, gets, gets, they put him in rehab, he got sober, he got clean, put his life back together, married a wonderful girl, in 2016, at the same time when our daughter, Brittany, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, Josh was, was diagnosed with a really serious cancer. 
And so that's when God welded Lamar's heart to my heart, and we began praying for our kids. And Josh is now in, 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 uh, in remission, and Josh is now leading a Christian camp of, of, of rehab for drug addicts and some other things with his wife. And, and you look at Lamar, and Lamar continually reached out his son till, till the end. It's so important. Listen, I'm telling you, if someone in the relationship burns the match of the bridge, let it be your child. Absalom, I mean, didn't just light the match. It was a blowtorch. It was a Motov cocktail. But David, David always gave his son a way home. During, listen, during times of rebellion, it's important. It is important for you to continue to reach out, continue to make that phone call, even if it's not returned. To continue to send that text message, if I love you and I'm concerned about you, even if it's not sent back, to where you understand that, guess what? You still have a way home. It was amazing to us when Karen started the jail ministry. And we started going into Pueblo County Jail. The number of parents as we would enter a service or leave a service that would stop and hand us a slip of paper with a name on it. And they would look at us and they'd say, hey, this is, this is my grandson or this is my granddaughter. This is my daughter. This is my son. And they're currently in Pueblo County Jail right now. And I'm asking them to come to the worship service. Would you make sure that someone prays for them? Would you make sure that someone ministers to them? Would you make sure they know that they have a mom and a dad that loves them and concerned about them and praying for them? It was shocking to me in this church, the number of people that had friends and family and family members just reaching out. See, this is the heart of David. David, it's amazing thing about this, even though it's public, David never was, David was never embarrassed by his son. That's huge. He was never embarrassed by his son's actions. You can never find that. You can never find that in Scripture. And you, what you find in Scripture is David continually reached out to him. Continually tried to reach even even sent friends, right? Even sent his most trusted counselor to try to reach his son to protect him because he didn't want his son to go through that pain. Isn't that the same thing that God did for us? The Scripture says, yet while we were still sinners. What? God sent someone to us. Who did he send? He sent Jesus. To us, I mean, John 3, 16 is like, like this, this, this bedrock passage of a foundation of our Christian faith. And John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his, world into the, did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So Jesus Christ did not send his son to this world to condemn you, to make you feel guilty. He sent his son to you to save you. To save you from the consequences of not knowing him personally. Listen, I'm telling you this morning, every one of us has a decision to make. Every one of us has a next step. And for you, you may not have come to the place where you just understood the principle of John 3, 16. To where you've come to the place where you've accepted him and asked him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. You may have done that. And you may have a rebellious child right now. And you may be feeling some guilt over that. And I want you to know that guilt is not of God. Guilt is of Satan. 
Don't let that guilt keep you from reaching out to them. Don't let that guilt keep you from having a conversation with them. And some of us this morning, we may need to make a phone call to a son or a daughter, whether it's returned or not, letting them know how much we love them and care for them and how proud we are of them. Maybe, maybe there's some adult children that need to make that phone call to a mom or a dad. Whatever God has for you, you just take the next step. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? and.